and we had our pastor over for dinner and the kids were terrible. And I could feel this anger rising up in me. And I had to leave the room. And I went in the room and I thought, I told God, this is not funny, God. <laughs> I'm seeing how I want to demand the kids to act better. And so instead of yelling at my kids, I laughed at myself. And I go, my worth and value is not dependent on my pastor seeing me as a good mother. How do you forgive when the wound is still open? How do you leave a legacy of redemption instead of dysfunction? How do you trust God when your deepest fears are realized? Join me, Sarah May, along with some wise mentors along the way as we explore these and other messy heart topics and the strategies we can use to seek healing in the pain and restoration in the ruins. Welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. I am so excited for today's show because you are going to hear from a real life mentor of mine, Kathy Bowman, as she shares her wisdom on the untrue beliefs we have about ourselves and God that keep us from freedom and how those beliefs impact others, including our children. Now, don't tune out if you're not a parent. I promise what she shares will speak to you. It is just so good. Hi, Kathy. Hi there. I met Kathy my freshman year at Penn State. I found out about something called the Navigators, which is a collegiate ministry uh, that her and her husband, Dave, were the campus directors and staff trainers there. The Navigators and Kathy profoundly impacted my life. And I would say in the timeline of my life, being in the NAVs, as we call it, was life changing. And I say that in the truest sense. It changed my life. I came to know the Lord in deeper ways. I learned how to study my Bible. I sat under wise and kind mentors. And God used Kathy and the Navs to bring healing into my life. And she also introduced me to Anne of Green Gables and Little Women. I had never heard of those books or those movies. And she had a movie day um, with some of us uh, college girls. And we watched Anne of Green Gables. And then another time we watched Little Women. And then that drove me to want to read the book. So Kathy has been influential in all sorts of ways. Now, I have to say one thing um, that made me adore Kathy when I was in her home and I needed to use her bathroom and I went in there and she had a framed scripture on the (laughs) wall that said, (laughs) for the Lord, your God, yep, we'll be with you wherever you go. from Joshua 1.9. Oh my word. And I remember I came out and I was like, Kathy, did you do that on purpose? And she said, of course I did. I did. <laughs> so Kathy has a wonderful sense of humor. And here's one more thing I want to say about Kathy before we, uh, before you get to meet her yourself and hear her voice and get to know her. Kathy reads things that she doesn't always agree with in order to understand and love people better. What are you reading right now? Are you reading anything? I don't know. What are you reading right now? I love to read. I've been reading a lot. Um, I love fiction and I love historical fiction. 
and I've been reading a lot on uh, the history of England and Europe. And also, I also read good for me books. Um, mm. And right now, I'm on a learning curve on the Enneagram. And the one, <gasps> the one I'm currently reading is The Road Back to You. And I have liked it the yes. best of the ones I've read. Oh, Kathy, what is your Enneagram? I'm a nine. You're a nine. Okay, what is the nine yes. called? I forget. Peacemaker. That's what I thought. Okay, the peacemaker. What are you, Sarah? Okay, I'm the four, which is the independent. Oh, the, yes, <laughs> uh -huh. and the romantic. The romantic. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know much about it. I'm only just now learning. And in fact, I had taken the test a couple times and I always got something different. And finally, I talked to a friend who's like an Enneagram coach. Mm -hmm. And she said, you really just need to read them mm -hmm. and figure out like what you relate to. Yes. And then interestingly enough, my 12-year-old yes. took the test and she got a four and she was reading it out loud to me. And as she was reading it to me, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's me. And so, yeah, so that's I how I found this. out. I can see it. <clears throat> Okay, well, Kathy, I am going to jump in here so that listeners can get an idea of who you are. So would you tell, actually, I don't even know this story. Would you tell me, how did you come to know the Lord? How did you come to know the Lord? <laughs> okay, as a freshman at Purdue University, my roommate, who I'd never known before, was involved in a Bible study. And in October, I had taught Sunday school. I'd gone to church. Um, was a good girl, uh, mm. quote. And um, she came back and got me out of bed some night in October and asked if I could help her with an illustration she's learning. And she showed me the bridge illustration, which helps a, a person understand what the Bible says a Christian is and where Christ fits in the whole picture. Um, and when I saw Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you are saved, not of works, I realized I needed Christ. And I prayed and accepted Christ in my life. Mm. Oh, my goodness. I love that. One of the things that I have talked to my listeners about and readers about is this idea of core lies. How would you define core lies, and when did you first learn about it? Dave and I were very interested in helping students um, in counseling and helping them. We were having quite a few students with sexual abuse and eating disorders mm. and uh, problems that we didn't know how to help them with. So we had gone through a whole 11-week course on counseling, and after that course, we felt like, oh, we can really help people with this. And then we signed up for a um, Larry Crabb counseling <laughs> course, mm -hmm. and after the first three days, I was literally laying in the back seat trying not to vomit. It was so impactful for me. And then God got a hold of Dave the next month. It was a good thing because somebody had to drive home because um, he really, I felt broken mm. that first three days. And then Dave got his the next three days. And 
as we were trying to put together what God was doing in our life, um, we coined the term core lies because it's kind of like God has given us longings to be loved and to make an impact. But then there, we live in a fallen world where we have hurtful and painful experiences. And because we are thinkers, we come up with conclusions. You know how children are great observers but terrible interpreters? Yes. And we come up with basically lies about the world and ourselves and about God and others. And then unconsciously, we form these goals that they become demands. Mm. Usually these goals are not bad once, but once we become, we make them demands, they become disastrous. And this affects our behavior. We become manipulative and self-protective. And then also it shows up in our emotions of anger, anxiety, and depression. We coined the term uh, with Kimberly Knuckle. Our dear friend Kimberly was visiting us and doing some training in counseling. And uh, I was in it was in our living room, and hmm. I was saying how something just really impacted me. It hit my core. And Kimberly said, Kathy, that isn't really the core yes. of who you are in Christ. That is your core lie. And after that, um, Dave came up with an illustration hmm. and to explain it, and we started calling it core lies. Mm-hmm but it's been very impactful in our lives. Oh, that is so good. I mean, I don't know if you remember, again, you've worked with hundreds, if not thousands of students, but you're the one who first introduced me to the concept to Coralize. I remember coming over to your house and just saying like, I don't know what is wrong with me, but I feel out of control emotionally. And I remember you made me tea and we sat at your table and you, you got out this notebook. I remember it was this yellow notepad and you started writing down, you know, like I feel, uh, or I'm not good enough. I'm bad. I, you just sort of went down this list of things and, and I, and then you circled what resonated with me and you sort of went through this whole illustration and it blew my mind because I thought, oh my gosh, like you are hitting something in me and I don't totally understand it, but whoa, this is going to mean something like I'm going to have to learn more about this. And God really used that to sort of bring up some things and reveal some of my, my own lies and goals that I had made and, oh man, just not being good enough and having to be perfect and all of those things. So I was so grateful for what you started there. I do have a question about that. Would you say the lie is the thing that you believe about yourself or like I'm not good enough or is the lie the goal that I have to be good enough? I think it's the belief, for example, and it's what's attached to the belief. Mm. For example, because of some abuse in my life, I felt like I was bad. I am bad. Mm. And then my goal, that's my belief. And then my goal is I must be good. But with me, it's a little funny because the truth is I am bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. The lie is my worth and value is determined 
if I'm good. Mm. And another lie is I can manipulate and control my world so that I will not be hurt. Those are the lies. Um, and, mm. and the thing I love about core lies is it forces you to go to the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ paid with his life for all my past, present, and future sins. And I mm. do not have to be whatever these lies are. They might be wanted, respected, perfect, mm. um, attractive, smart, re respected, good. You know, there's so many common lies. But our worth and value is mm. only dependent upon how Christ sees us. And that is righteous. Yes. So it just gives me goosebumps even today <laughs> as I talk, just the, the power mm. of Christ. Because even when I came to Christ, um, I had an ulcer because I never could be good enough. I knew I wasn't good enough. And after I saw Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that it wasn't good enough, that I, I stopped taking my ulcer medicine. I never took it again. And, but then I started trying to be a good Christian. Yeah. <laughs> and I had all the anxiety and um, mostly anxiety back then of trying to be, to never disappoint God, you know, and oh. it wasn't until my thirties where God broke me apart and realized I don't have to be a good Christian. And then now my obedience comes from, I want to please my, I just want to love him in response of his love for me versus I have to perform. I don't know if that makes sense. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. I think so many people are trapped in this idea that they have to be a good Christian. Like, what are we showing? How are people viewing us? And there's so much bondage there. And it's so different from just an outpouring of, okay, this is who I am. And God, I'm going to do my best to follow you and love you and love other people. Um, do what you're going to do in me <laughs> and through me. And yeah, I just, oh, that is so good. And I also related to something else you said. You said that nobody had to tell you like you were bad, like you knew you were bad. And that's how I felt when I first. What, I was at a Navigator retreat, actually. It was a fall retreat my freshman year. And one of the speakers had said, what would you do if Jesus walked in the room right now? And my immediate reaction was, well, I would hide because he wouldn't want to see me. And it wasn't till later that I realized, like, I didn't have to hide. You know, he already knew everything and knows everything. But, you know, but nobody had to tell me the same, like that I was bad. Like I didn't need you to tell me, like I knew <laughs> what I was capable of. I knew what was in me. What I needed to know was that I could be loved anyway and that God would lead me out. That's what I needed to know. And that's what he told me. And, th and that's the good news. And that's the good news. Yes. Oh, that's so good. So good. How does understanding your core lies help you as a mother and in your relationship with your children? Amazingly. <laughs> but first of all, but first of all, 
we need to realize that we're never going to be the parents, the mother that our children really need. <laughs> um, no matter how you deal with your own lives or whatever, you're still going to fail and in some ways. And in fact, that is what's going to bring your child to a personal relationship with Christ, him or herself, because you'll never be perfect. Mm. So I want to pause right there. Isn't that interesting that as parents, I know I do this, like I want to be the best parent and that's a good goal. But at the end of the day, like I am going to make a mess. I'm going to mess up in lots of ways. And those are the things that could contribute to my children becoming dependent on the Lord. And, and I count on it. I love that. Oh, that's so good. Okay. So keep going. Okay. So to say you're still going to mess up, <laughs> but I think I was so thankful that God revealed to me early in my children's lives uh, because I could see what I was doing more clearly and could at times change what I was doing. Mm. Not every time, but mm -hmm. at times. Uh, for example, uh, if I, you not only demand yourself to be your goal, you demand everyone else around you. Mm. For example, I must be good. You must be good, especially if you reflect upon me. Mm. You must be good. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, it's a good desire. I like to keep thinking, okay, is this a desire or is this a need or a demand? Ooh, and it's a good, good desire. It's, it's a good desire that I have good children, <laughs> but I cannot control that completely. They are their own people. They will have their own testimony. And I need, I can desire it, but I can't demand it of them. And I could see, even as my kids were little, I was demanding mm. they must be good, especially if people I cared about were around. Mm. I remember when the kids were really little and God was just doing this deep stuff in my own heart. And we had our pastor over for dinner and the kids were terrible. <laughs> and I could feel this anger mm. rising up in me. And I had to leave the room. And I went in the room and I thought, I told God, this is not funny, God. Mm. <laughs> I'm seeing how I want to demand the kids to act better. And so instead of yelling at my kids, I laughed at myself. Mm. And I go, my worth and value is not dependent on my pastor seeing me as a good mother. Oh, my gosh. That's so good. Okay. I'll touch a little bit, too, on these emotions because they are really, really helpful mm -hmm. to understanding when things are getting triggered, when your lives are getting triggered or your goals are being involved. Okay. Okay. When I feel anger or frustrated, that means mm -hmm. my goal or what I feel like I must have for life to be good is being blocked. My goal is being blocked when I'm angry or frustrated. Mm -hmm. um, I was pretty good at making my goals work. I would never have thought myself of an angry person until I had kids. Oh my gosh, me too. 
Yeah, I was pretty good at manipulating my world or avoiding self-protecting or manipulating my world, you know, that I felt pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I had kids, they are little goal blockers. No matter what <laughs> goal you have, they block your goals. Um, and that's when all this anger was coming out and I was yelling and so anger and then anxiety is usually when I'm not certain I will obtain my goal. And then depression is when life has shown me that my goals that I feel like I need for life will never be met. That was a little thing. But I think because I realized my demandingness demandingness on my children, it really helped me to raise them differently than I would have. And sometimes we're not even aware what's going on. I remember... One example mm-hmm. was when one of my children was 10 and was in a swim team. She didn't want to wash her hair and it started smelling. <laughs> and I would just harp on her. You need to wash your hair. You need to wash your hair. You need to wash your hair, mm-hmm. especially before we went to church because it looked terrible and it smelled bad. And finally, my husband, Dave, took me aside and said, Kathy, she is old enough to know when she needs to wash her hair. In fact, I think you're doing it more for your sake than you, hers. And you know what? He was right. I did think a good mother would let her hair, her child go around with hair like that. <laughs> and he said, I think you should give her over control of her hair. So I had to go to her and I had to first ask forgiveness. Please forgive me. You know, as a parent, it's difficult because you need to be continually giving over more and more responsibility mm-hmm. as your child ages. And some this I have held on too long. And I said, would you pr- forgive me for hanging on to this? Your hair is your responsibility. I will never mention you need to wash your hair again. And you know what her response was? Hmm. Will you remind me? <laughs> ah, oh my goodness. That's and so I, funny. And I thought about it. And I said, no, I really can't for my sake because I'm dealing with my stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know what? She has the cleanest hair of anybody in the family <laughs> ever since then. Oh, that is so interesting. I, you know, I love that because the idea of going to them and saying, you know what? Because I think sometimes our kids just expect us to tell them what to do. And we do. We're parents. We're their, their authority, right? But here mm-hmm. you gave it back to her. Okay, this is this is now yours. And then it's kind of like they step up, you know, like, and then they're going to do what they need to do. And she probably eventually realized, well, I don't want my hair to smell <laughs> and look bad. Uh-huh. And, oh, yeah. Total change. And the, the key is figuring out what you need to give the child at what age. Yeah. When are they able emotionally, physically, mentally to take over something? Yeah. That's really good. So let me ask you this question. So it's important to deal with our own lies so that obviously for our own freedom and health and so we can love God and love others. um, And then, like we said, not damage our children as much. But what have you seen 
when parents refuse to deal with their lies, like maybe they're afraid to face the pain or maybe they just don't know or, I mean, we kind of know, but sometimes we don't want to face things. What have you seen? Like, how has that impacted children that you have seen that maybe by learning from it, we could avoid it? Oh, so much, so much. We've worked with so many older children, college students, Mm -hmm. and we can see, we can almost tell the parents' lies sometimes from the kids when a parent has to be real controlling or also, especially when their children get married, when they refuse to let them leave because of their own Mm -hmm. need to be wanted or their own need to be needed. It causes stress in the marriage and also just a real hardship on their children to put boundaries. I'm thinking of a perfectionist mother who I can already see their daughter being so perfectionistic that no one or nothing will ever be enough for them. So it's really hard. One of the things we've done a lot of premarital counseling And one of the things we cover most is helping each person discover their own core lie and then the other person's. Because we have found, I'd say, at least 75% of marriages, each couple hits the other person's lies and (laughs) wounds. Mm -hmm. And if they can figure that out early in their relationship, in their marriage, and then carry that on and parenting with their own kids. It's very helpful, we've seen. How would you encourage somebody to figure out what their lies are? Because we don't want to become neurotic, right, and go searching. And at the same time, it's important to invite the Lord in to show us, you know, what our lies are. What, what steps would you take? I love this question. Okay. When I'm helping someone figure out core lies, if they've asked me or um, if I see that it's something they're ready for, I help have them keep track, usually journal, of times when they're angry, anxious, or depressed, and what is going on. And anger or frustrated, frustrated counts in there, or anxious or fearful, or depressed or immobilized. And it's amazing. That's when what we do with these premarital people. We have them start that, and then we talk about that. And it's amazing how just this line of poison is affecting all those things. And, and it becomes more evident. You know, uh, I must be respected. I must be good. I must be perfect. I must be wanted. Um, those goals one that we've worked with recently is I must not be a disappointment. He gets anxious when he ever feels like he would be a disappointment. So it really curtails of what you will do in life if you feel like you must never disappoint anyone. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And it's so interesting because I thought once you dealt with a lie, it was like done. <laughs> and then I learned, oh, God keeps bringing things up. And lies sometimes have a way of sticking in certain places and you think you're good to go. And then something happens and you're like, whoa, why did you like, why was that a landmine in my heart? What just happened there? 
even just as recently as this past week, I found, and I, I'm in the middle of it, so I don't know what it is, but I find that I cannot talk politics with my husband. I'm like, I can't do this. Like, I get so angry. I just huh. feel like, yeah. And so finally, I, and or if I hear somebody, and this goes kind of with the political thing, or if I hear somebody view God a certain way that feels very harsh, even if that's not what they're trying to communicate, I get mad. And it's sort of, for whatever reason, I lump those together. Mm -hmm. And so I sat down and I just wrote, like, this is a triggering situation for me and it continues to happen. And so right now I'm just before the Lord, like, God, what is it? You know, like, why can't I have these conversations without either needing to walk Mm -hmm. away? Like, I I don't want to talk about it. My husband always says, you always say, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Or I get angry. Uh That's perfect what you should be doing. Because it has to be the Holy Spirit who reveals, you know, your motives of your heart. Yes. 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 And not that there's anything wrong with anger, but I remember Dave telling me once years ago, he said, you know, 90% of anger is not righteous anger. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It usually comes from a lie. So that always stuck with me. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. I want to transition a little bit because a big part of this podcast is about finding freedom and healing and restoration in the ruins or what we think are ruined things. And I am curious in your own life, if you want to share, what has been maybe a great pain or wound in your own life and how has God worked or is working in the midst of that pain? I think... What's caused me the most pain is not what I'm going to talk about the most, but uh, there's been like three different times in my life where I have gotten really, really sick. And um, two years ago was one of them and basically unable to function. It was both, all times has been a chemical imbalance in my body, which basically adrenals just shut down or different parts shut down. Uh, So that's probably my biggest pain, but that's probably not what I'm going to talk about (laughs) because I think the biggest emotional pain was going through some of the teenage years with my daughters and seeing some choices that Mm. I didn't think were the right ones and having to let go. It came back to a vow that I had made. I hadn't realized I made this vow, but I have dealt with so many women, so many girls, Mm -hmm. and I could think of two specifically where I think I made this vow, Mm -hmm. where they were telling me of some sexual abuse they'd had in their past. And I remember thinking, that will never happen to my girls. Okay. Now, is that possible? (laughs) I am not that powerful. But what happened is that when especially one of them was being harassed, I would come in and try to protect them and become too controlling. And um, my thinking is, if I'm giving you wisdom and you don't immediately change, then you must not have heard. (laughs) Or I didn't say it loud enough. (laughs) Or as many times as you need to hear. And... Uh, Finally, my wonderful husband, Dave, again came in and said, well, my friend Kimberly, too, also said, so-and-so will never get you out of her head. And Dave said, you cannot tell her one more time what you think is the wise choice. And I remember having to renounce that vow 
and say, please forgive me, God. I am not powerful that this will never happen in my daughters. In fact, my desire would be that it wouldn't happen, but I am going to choose your goodness and your power and your sovereignty. And even if the worst would happen, I'm going to choose that you are able to work it for good in their lives. And you know what? Right after I denounced that vow, within a week, there was such a change of pursuing of Christ, of changing phone number, of, of just choosing different friends. I just felt like there was such a, a powerful thing. It was broken and it was never back again. So that was probably some of the pain, greatest emotional pain in my life. Wow. Kathy, can you just briefly tell us a little bit more about vows? I'm sure I have people listening who are like, whoa, what is this? What is she talking about? Okay. If you want to watch a good movie, watch the Disney's movie, The Kid, because <laughs> you can see all these things and you can see a vow. Like, for example, when I heard those about the girls, I vowed, okay, that will never happen. No way can that never happen. I'm not that powerful. Other people, we've had vows of one time when a little boy was playing baseball and he got hit and his dad ran on the field, grabbed him and he was crying. The little boy was crying and his father grabbed him and said, stop crying. You're embarrassing yourself and me. And what? That boy didn't ever cry again until he was with Dave and talking and then started crying. Wow. He had made a vow that he was not going to cry. Yes. Wow. Uh-huh. What is a vow? What is making a vow do to you? Well, I think it sort of separates you from under God's protection mm. and put yourself into your own power. Yeah, I remember. Um, so my mom was an alcoholic and I remember being a teenager and being like, I will never be like her. Oh, yes. I will never be like her. And it's fascinating because I never had a problem with alcohol, but I found other things that were I would use to try and fill mm -hmm. me or to escape. And it took years to realize like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> oh, okay. God, I'm going to let you take over here because I can't, I can't fix myself. Like I can't be who I want to be or not who, whatever it is. I can't, I need you, God, to do it. You take over. I think that's what it is, relinquishing your control and mm -hmm. putting God back in control. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, man, that is so good. There's something that I've also been wanting to ask you. I remember also my freshman year of college, Dave saying, I want you all to think of an impossible prayer, and I want you to pray that prayer. And I have two impossible prayers, and one of them was that my mom would stop drinking, which I never thought in a million years that that would ever happen. And it did. It took years and years and years, but eventually she did. And I was wondering if you have had or do have an impossible prayer or if you've seen one answered. Um, and if so, what was it and how was it answered? I've seen several. 
In fact, I try to keep an impossible prayer list going. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, but I think the one I'll share about is uh, my brother. Um, much of my abuse and pain from my life came from my brother. And when I came to Christ, I tried to share it with him. And he stopped the car and said, do you want to walk home? And he was just hardened, hardened, hardened. And we all have buttons. And my brother knew how to push my buttons wow. better than anyone. But I had gone work through forgiving him and moving towards him with boundaries. And then in 2009, he was diagnosed with glioblastoma, brain cancer. And I was able to go home and be with him when he went in for the diagnosis and was able to talk with him four times afterwards. And he let me share the whole gospel. And he wasn't angry. It's almost like the brain tumor destroyed his angry. Because <laughs> he was always angry. He wasn't angry. And he listened. Mm. And he told me he believed. And I do not know where he is. But I am so thankful for the impossible prayer that I would be able to share with my bro brother and that he would understand the gospel. That's beautiful. I'm so glad. Oh, praise God. <laughs> I'm so glad you were able to share that with him and that he heard you and listened. Oh, it's so good. I just have one last question for you. And that is, what piece of advice do you want women to hear or a piece of advice that you'd wish you'd known? What do you want to say to women? I would say choose freedom. Romans 8, 32 says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And Galatians 5, 1, I love this verse. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not let yourselves be burdened again to a yoke of slavery. And I feel like our lies and our goals are slavery. And I would say choose the gospel, the good news, that Jesus paid it all, and that you right now will never be more righteous in Jesus' eyes than you were when you accepted Christ. So that's what my make a choice daily for freedom. Kathy, I love that. Oh my gosh. It all comes down to that, right? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and for giving us a glimpse into your life and to some painful things in your life and for sharing your wisdom. I am just so grateful to you and to Dave, and to the Navigator Ministry. And I just thank you so much for being a part of this podcast, Kathy. Thank you, Sarah. Love you much. Thank you for listening to the Complicated Heart Podcast. Loved this episode? 
head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Reviews are how people know if they should listen or not. So please, if you like the show, take a minute and give it a review. Thank you so much. If you want to know more, check out sarahmay.com forward slash the complicated heart podcast. See you next time.